This is a journey. Welcome to Journey Into Sound on Radio Free Brooklyn. This is episode two, just a second time we're doing this on RFB, so we're getting our feet wet a little bit. My name is Mike Joseph. Uh, You have heard my voice at 2 o'clock p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn for a couple of years now. Uh, We're moving away from the playing music thing, and we're moving more into the talking about music thing. So uh, it's a new show. Uh, which isn't really a new show because this existed as a podcast before uh, it existed as a show on Radio Free Brooklyn. But I'm excited to talk about music, uh, which I do plenty, unprompted, and not when it's being recorded. And I'm also excited to have a very special guest with me. So thank you for listening. And one of the people I have enjoyed talking about music with the longest is my man, Garrett Gonzalez. Welcome to the show. What's up, man? We haven't talked about music in a long time together. It's been a minute, and that's because we're old, and I don't know that we necessarily have a a horse to pick in the race anymore. Though, I will say, I did watch the Grammys, and there was a game. My buddy does a game with his family where you pick some of the awards, and I actually won the whole thing, considering I didn't listen to most of the music that was available to, to win an award until like two weeks before the awards because he told me and I was like okay I know this Miley song I know these Taylor songs I know these Olivia Rodrigo songs but I kind of tried to listen to it through the ears of who I thought the Grammys would pick to win sure and and I won the whole thing but it was a fun exercise because like I'm listening to maybe five percent of the new music that I would have listened to even five years ago yeah and I don't even Same. know why that is it's kind of like a weird thing with how music works today. I have a couple of theories. One is just that is just that there is so much of it, it can be overwhelming to consume everything. And I also wonder if as we age, we just lean more on the stuff that we enjoy, all right? Like we're not totally interested in discovery anymore. I, I had that thought because Usher has a, a, a recently new album. Mm-hmm. And I also see that Kanye has a recently new album. And I thought about this because I'm listening to the Usher album. And I would say uh, my my new favorite word for content that I'm just like, okay with, like, yeah, it's fine. is sleepy, a little bit sleepy. Like it didn't really get me out of my chair. And so I'm listening to the Usher album and I thought, okay, should I continue this journey of whatever, how long it is, 60 minutes? Or do I just want to go to the Usher playlist and just rock out and just be totally happy? And we're talking about time, right? Like, that's really what it is about, is our time. And listening to new music, there is a risk that you kind of feel like you might be wasting your time a little bit. Or it doesn't grab you. And maybe you even didn't even realize that seven songs have gone by. And you got to go back to the beginning to even think about what you're listening to, (laughs) which is how we used to listen to music, because we were thinking about it in the ways of, what is my review? What is my take? And I just don't listen to music that way anymore as much as I as I used to. But, and to preface this, Garrett and I met when we were writing for a consumer review site. We were writing music reviews. But even before we were writing reviews, I don't necessarily think it was a time issue. Well, I think some of it was a volume issue. There was a lot less music being released. 
And the other thing is we didn't have distractions, right? Like we didn't have the phone to look at or YouTube to go to or like whatever. Now we have all of these different things competing for our time. Whereas 15, 20 years ago, if an Usher album was mid, we would have kind of probably sat through it. A bunch of times. Yeah. To kind of figure out if we were going to get it or not. Whereas I think the inclination now is to really get through it once. And if you're not hearing anything that sticks at, at you right away, to just jump to the next thing. Yeah, it is much more like if you're physically buying media, there is there because of you just paid your $15. And, and back then, $15 meant a little bit more to us. Right. The risk in it not being good is that you just feel like you wasted your money. And with how music is today, I, I pay Apple Music, whatever they take, 11 bucks, but it's bundled in a bunch of different other things. Right. And so there's less risk for me to be disappointed in something because I, I, I didn't physically shell out $15 to buy a physical disc that I have to put in a car or put it in a player and so just the act of owning versus licensing like we didn't really own the music but owning the physical disc it's a tangible thing and what's interesting about what you said about you know what back then we, we music was competing with music for our time because we were listening to radio and so you're listening to the radio then you have your own music now music competes with podcasts for me right and right. I listen to way more podcasts. So <laughs> you, the fact that you have a podcast tells the listeners, okay, like, you know, this is as important as listening to live music for you because you are sharing this podcast with people. So that's also a competing thing. And I, I, I don't even want to count because it would blow my mind how many hours of podcasts I listen to a week, but it's way more than hours of music that I listen to. But I also think, it is an age thing because I have two 14-year-old stepsons. I have a, an eight-year-old stepdaughter. They don't listen to podcasts. They're just listening to music. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, was... like their iPhone is how we used to have the iPod. Right. They're for music and texting and group messaging and YouTube shorts. Uh, my stepdaughter doesn't have an iPhone. She has an iPad. But they are using it in the ways that we would have used an iPod back in the day. So I think it's also an age thing where we are using podcasts as kind of like buddies in a sense. Like hmm. I, I'm listening to Questlove and I'm like Questlove and, and Fontigolo. Those are my guys. Those are my homies. Like if I right. don't hear for, from them for a, a week, I miss them. You know, right. you get sad. Yeah, I get it. Swinging back to Usher for a minute. I did listen to the album yesterday. I was really curious because it has been 15 years since the last time I enjoyed an Usher album completely. Like the one he put out after Confessions, I thought was good. And then every album after that, there have been like three songs on each album that I like. So I was a lot nervous to listen to this, but I work from home on Fridays. I'm sitting at my computer and I was like, let me just throw this on in the background. It's 20 tracks. It's an hour. I'm going to knock out some emails, whatever. And I was surprised because I liked the majority of the songs I heard. I think it's completely fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but here's the problem, right? And just for this podcast, I went back and I was just listening to stuff. And the album in of itself is a, you know, when he's talking about bops and stuff, he's not talking as a 40-year-old dude. Right. But it, he's not chasing a lot of the stuff that is on, on the radio or whatever. You know, the hip-hop sound today is just like, it's unlistenable to me for the most part. It's unlistenable to me. But... What he does is he tries, I mean, just look at the dude. I saw him interviewed the other day. He looks like he's like in his early 30s. Black don't crack. 
This dude is not only just as handsome as he ever was, but he's still in such great shape. And and so you just look at him and you're like, how can Usher be in his 40s? There's no way. He's going but to the gym the, LL. Yeah. <laughs> at the same time, though, he's not a young man. And so the idea that he has a little bit more of a grown-up album, I think, makes a lot of sense to me. But th- this is kind of interesting. What do you think of the R&B sound in general today? Because when I go back to talking about the Grammys, the category that stood out to me most was the new artists category. You had uh, Coco Jones. You had Victoria Monet. And I was like, wow, like these artists are actually really good. But uh, I wouldn't say they're trendy. I would say they're going for more of a little bit of a a timeless pop sound in in their music. And I was very surprised because I just don't hear that stuff. I don't see that stuff. I didn't even really know too much about them because they're not on the memes that are out there with certain (laughs) artists. And I was actually really surprised. I was like, oh, if these women are what R&B music is today, this is a really good place. When I compare that to where hip hop is today, and I'm like, that doesn't even feel like the same culture anymore. Yeah, I think Victoria Monet is a little memeable. I knew about her from a lot of my friends who dig her. I wasn't familiar with Coco Jones until they announced the Grammy nominations. But there are artists who are trying to kind of keep that classic R&B sound alive. So it doesn't all sound like, I'm not even sure what it sounds like now. I mean, it sounds like if you had some software you could actually beat <laughs> so it doesn't sound like ai yeah and what i was getting to with the usher thing is if you listen to some of those bigger albums they feel produced and mastered and it feels like somebody spent a lot of time and effort putting this thing together whereas a lot of the music today feels like how quickly can i get this thing out and i i understand it from a commercial standpoint and the new streaming platform is like the old mixtape right it's like you don't have to go to the corner to buy the five dollar cd <laughs> that's not you know there's no royalties involved right. in that right. rap purchase but i guess the art of rap music it doesn't feel as much like art as it feels like you know just putting something out quick trends change so so quickly and i so yeah. i get that part right if if they take three years to put something together they're behind the eight ball because that's three years ago all the trends have changed it doesn't feel artistic in the way that you and i grew up knowing hip-hop music as artistic it's crazy to me because i mean kendrick is 36 so i can't think of an mc under 36 that i would even like take the steps to listen to it's like Kendrick, Black Thought. I did check out Killer Mike's album after the Grammys on Sunday, and it's all right. Do, um, do we know why that guy got arrested, by the way? They said he pushed a security guard. Oh, my God. This dude had the, the biggest Grammy year in hip-hop, and that's the focus of the thing. That, that kind yeah. of bothered me. But it, it's not like, you know, back when we were teenagers in, in our early 20s, mid-20s, whatever, every hip-hop album that came out, like there was the possibility of it being a really good artistic statement. Um, and now it's so few and far between. And look, I mean, we are the age that we are, right? I don't know what a 21-year-old's music taste is, but, you know, not to sound like get off my lawn person, but when I was 21, like Nas and Lauren Hill and, and you know, all these folks were putting out records that were mature records. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like that exists at all anymore. And someone can correct me if I'm wrong, if they're listening. Uh, but yeah, I'm not feeling it. Well, what it feels like 
to me, and I am going to try to not be a hypocrite because I enjoyed that music as well. But instead of chasing the late 80s sound or maybe the early 90s, mid 90s hip hop, you know, those those golden years that we always talk about, everybody is trying to chase the 97 time frame because that's what 97 was, right? It was Puffy putting out as much music as possible with his touch because radio was so dominant and that's what people wanted to listen to. Right. But if you think about it, post Biggie, when Biggie passes, until when Puff is irrelevant musically, it's like two years. Yeah, I mean, the Bad Boy era was essentially like, Ready to Die came out in 94, right? So it was like 94, 95, 96, Biggie dies 97, and then by like the end of 97, well, Mace came out the end of 97. So like 98, 99, though, that was when Puffy's second album came out and flopped. He kept trying to put out rappers like Shine came out and didn't do well. Black Rob came out, didn't do well. Don't forget about G-Dep. Right, oh God, G-Dep. <laughs> like, Bad Boy was dropping records that sold, they weren't bricks, but they sold, okay, they didn't, they weren't like five, six, seven million copies selling albums. And I, I was almost tempted to be like, well, No Way Out wouldn't have blown up the way it did if Biggie hadn't died. However, it's all about the Benjamins was, that was the Biggie insurance. Yeah. And Biggie's all over that album right. at the same time. It was almost like Puff Daddy featuring Notorious B.I.G. Right. And if he doesn't pass, I'm sure he's probably on even more songs than he was right. That's on, on that album. I mean, Biggie was kind of Puffy's meal ticket. Yeah. Essentially. I mean, no other artist that he has ever worked with organically, like not Puffy come remix a record for me. Every other artist that he's worked with organically, every artist on the Bad Boy roster has not been a huge, huge selling artist, except for Biggie and for one album, Puffy, and for one album, Mace. Yes. And, you know, I don't want to be insensitive. I think when you say the name Sean Puff Daddy Combs these days, (laughs) there are lawsuits and allegations, and I know he had to pay Cassie a lot of money for what she was accusing him about. And so that, and rightfully so, it is kind of putting a stench on a lot of things right now because right. the things that we grew up with, the art, the culture, and then now this information comes out and it's like, can you even enjoy that stuff without thinking of the negativity? And it goes back really to R. Kelly. I can't listen to R. Kelly music anymore without thinking about that Surviving R. Kelly documentary that came out. And now this dude is behind bars, right. rightfully so, because of all the, the things that he did. How do you deal with the things that we enjoyed when we were growing up and because those things that we enjoyed, those are visceral memories that we hold near and dear to our hearts. And then you have something like this in late two, three, you're like, Puff Daddy did what? This is crazy. I mean, I take the decision on whether I listen to art by people who have done not great things. It's kind of a case-by-case basis thing. Like, I don't think I've listened to an R. Kelly song probably in three or four years. I, I wiped R. Kelly from my library completely. Um, and I'll try to say this as sensitively as possible. The main issue with R. Kelly is that he did what he did, and his music is very sexual. Mm-hmm. So there's no way to separate. He's kind of telling us what's going on right, without exactly. telling us. Yeah. He's like showing his cards the whole time, and we just yeah. didn't pick it up. Or we picked it up and ignored it. Yeah. With Puffy... I don't listen to bad boy stuff that much. I mean, I listen to Biggie and, you know, Biggie hasn't been implicated in anything. So that's one thing. But it's hard because so many people who make art are people who do problematic things. And I think that sometimes when we make decisions on who to cancel versus who not to cancel, we don't think about 
our own humanity and the things that we've done. Yes. Maybe that wouldn't look so good if we had a, a bigger light, a bigger audience. You know, it, it's a slippery slope. And again, it's kind of like a test by uh, case by case basis type thing. But yeah, any musician who has said or done some like virulently racist shit, like Kid Rock's not in my library anymore. I've had to part ways with a lot of people whose music I've enjoyed. And it's just like, then by the same token, people are like, well, you still listen to Michael Jackson. I'm like, he beat the charge. And also I've done a significant amount of research on that case because I was writing mm-hmm. a book about it for a while. And, you know, again, A, I don't know whether he did it or not. And B, that man's life was so full of abuse and being taken advantage of. Not that I give him a pass, but I empathize kind of. So there is that conversation. And I think there the way that information is presented, because I just recently listened to a podcast about the whole Michael Jackson charges stuff. And I, I didn't really want to listen to it, but I, you know, with a lot of the information that comes out today about stuff and the way that people are canceled today, I was like, I need to really listen to this because being a Michael Jackson fan, you think of him in one way. And here is a way that people who have been abused in in the past think about him. And it was a really good listen. There's a lot of information out there that you could very easily agree with about charges and stuff. And so I think the one thing that's pretty interesting, and and this was kind of where I wanted to go with this conversation, but we're talking about music, but just the cancel culture thing is is so interesting. Uh, Kobe Bryant. Uh Uh-huh. He got three statues. Yep the other day and my thought was like man nba really really shines a light on this guy and he had an issue in colorado where he settled out of court with a young woman who accused him of rape yep and yet when you hear the story of kobe bryant you never hear that part of it and it's a little frustrating to me that certain people get off from the cancel culture aspect and certain people that's all they are to others and look we're not equating offenses bad stuff is bad stuff i would be insensitive to say oh well this thing was worse than this thing yes what bill cosby did is one of the worst things that i've ever could ever imagine in my brain there's a story of uh, vince mcmahon very similar all the stuff that he was doing. like You almost can't even think about it because your brain would have to go away to, to an area that you've never thought about in your life. Mm-hmm. And that's how crazy and sordid and all that stuff is. But then there are others like Kobe Bryant. And you kind of look at the way that he passed away and it's almost like, okay, he died young. Thus, let's not bring up that negative stuff anymore. His poor wife, his poor kids, his daughter died as well. And it's just weird how we value who did what and what's important and what's not. And not that there can be any consistency in this because it's it's all emotion and fandom and craziness. But uh, at the same time, I I think about that stuff. You know, I think about his accuser and what she's feeling at this point because the pitchforks were out on her, even though she was the innocent party in all of it and so that just that stuff i kind of wonder about and it's just weird i wonder about it too it's very selective outrage and you can't expect humans not to human and no two people are going to feel the same but uh yeah i was thinking about that anytime i read an article on bleacher report or whatever about the kobe statue i was like didn't this nigga rape somebody yeah and i'm like 
obviously dying young and dying tragically is a sad, sad thing. But there's also the part of my brain that's like, rapists don't get statues. Um, so it, it's, I don't know. So, and then to go Makes back my to head the, hurt. To go back to the MJ thing, obviously, we would have loved to see him perform that one last concert, the This Is It concert. But at the same time, I do wonder if he was alive today, like how hard, like we just saw what happened with Puff Daddy. We kind of heard some stories about his weird behavior, but never. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't that. surprised at all. You know, he's had like tons of stories about hitting people in the head with bottles, bottles. And being, you know, aggressive and and not easy to work with. I did not know about the sexual stuff at all. But with MJ, if he lives past 2009, like, is it just multiple stories and multiple people coming out with stories and then it's even worse his legacy not to say that that makes it better for anything it probably makes it better for his fans right because then you don't have to to see or hear about that but i do wonder for his fans it may have been okay for him to to die as he did because in today in 2024 you know people are, are coming forward and and there may have been more stuff that just has has not surfaced that um you know, that, that could be out there. So I do think it was better that uh, this sounds so horrible. I think it was better that he died when he did like the idea of Michael, Hey, the idea of Michael Jackson as an old man just doesn't make sense. Yeah. The idea of Michael Jackson as deteriorated as he was at 50 to picture that at 60 or 65 also feels weird. And the idea of Michael Jackson on social media yeah. feels like three times as weird. So yeah. I think 2009, I, look, I want everybody to have a long, full life. But yeah, I think that might have been a, a good move. Yeah. No, I, 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 I think so as well. Yeah. Um, which I also, you brought up Kanye earlier, and I didn't know that this album was, is it out? Okay, so here's the Kanye story. And the only reason I know the Kanye story is because I have kids, right? So <laughs> they still rock with Kanye's music. Right. And when you, I mean, and I think about it from the perspective of, what he's been these last four or five years is absolutely deplorable. So yeah. I, I don't rock with him anymore. I don't even Shit. really think his new music is, is anything special either, but there was a time when he was the, the backpack producer where I really loved the guy. And I thought, Oh, he's just a knucklehead. He's just young. And he's got all these crazy thoughts. And then we went to the, he's probably emotionally, uh, you know, maybe uneven right. at, at times. And we went that way. But now I look at it as he's kind of screwed up in the head like that. And, and that's really hard to say to somebody whose music you, that I really liked. But I can completely just be like, OK, I just won't support him anymore because he says things that I just absolutely don't believe in. Right. And I just looked and I guess it is out. The digital service providers did a really good job of pushing that one down. So did the press because I didn't really see anything written about it. The problem is, is that like most Kanye projects, it was heavily rumored to come out. Oh, yeah. And then it didn't. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. And, and then it's ready on Kanye's time. And the fervor was a month ago when people wanted it. And now it's a month later and it, it kind of dropped silently. Yeah, I feel the same way. Look, back when Kanye first came out, the brashness was actually really appealing to me because black artists so often have to 
play the respectability politics game. Mm -hmm. And Kanye was not having that at all. So I was like, this dude, you know, like Jay-Z says, black superhero music. Kanye was black superhero music to me. It was like, all right, it makes me confident, makes me feel energized. It was great. And it, it very quickly, we're like, okay, there's a screw loose here. And I, I'm not saying that to be glib. Like, as most people know who know me, I deal with mental health issues. So yeah. I totally understand where he's coming from. But, and then when his mom died, I was like, well, shit, you know, this is even more reason for him to just be like, you know, when you suffer through tragedy and you're isolated and you got yes people all around you and, you know, you have the money and the resources to reject help from anybody, that's a bad position to be in. And I think what we what we've seen the last six, seven, eight years from Kanye is all of that in action. So there is a part of me that feels bad for. That said, I am not listening to anything that he like. The last album he put out that I listened to was probably Jesus. I like the Life of Pablo a lot. Oh, did he the Life a... of Pablo come out after Jesus? It would be Life of Pablo yeah. then. Okay, my fault. So Life of Pablo came out, and then the next album was that. EP album Yay, where he was just in Wyoming putting out all these EPs from like Nas and right. and then I think uh, Kid See Ghosts was him and Kid Cudi. Kid Cudi, right? But yeah, that was like okay. Uh, the music isn't as good, and he's kind of just gone wild with a lot of his commentary. So <laughs> yes. so my son Brian, he actually went to the Life of Pablo concert in it was either in San Jose or San Francisco. Maybe even Oakland. I don't remember, but so Kanye showed up uh, two hours late to his own concert. You're hanging out with Lauren Hill too much. So he had to do a shorter set than his audience had paid high prices for. Included in that shorter set was Donald Trump rhetoric. Imagine oh. doing Donald Trump rhetoric. In the Bay Area. Area. Just completely not understanding where you are in the world. I mean, he and might have understood and just didn't care. Maybe. It doesn't sound like great opportunity for repeat business if you're coming back <laughs> to the Bay Area, right? So, uh, but imagine who his fan base is, younger people, uh, and not, not all his fan bases, but some of his fan bases is younger people, a little bit more impressionable. Their brains aren't fully mature yet. And so you hear this guy and you're like, well, he's cool. He's rich. He's a musician. And maybe some of these things that he's saying are actually true. And then being the parent of those kids and saying, no, he's just bipolar. Like he's has issues and he needs to take his medication and he has these crazy thoughts. And so, some of this is being a creator. He's got a creator's brain as well. Right. right. But you're talking about, one of the greatest hip-hop producers in the history of the game, turning into an artist and, and, and from a rap perspective. He's always been fun to me. You know, he slightly above average. He doesn't have the chops that other rappers have right. had. He's, he's not Rakim. Yeah, See, who is, is what I would say. <laughs> True. But at the same time, you know, you watch him and you're like, man, I, I wish somebody could grab him and shake him and say, the next 10 or 15 years is not going to go well if you're going down the same path. Your legacy and 
what you are remembered. Like, because, you know, the, I mean, even before this, old Kanye versus new Kanye, right? That was kind of he, the meme that he leaned into. Yeah. Is this the old Kanye or is this the new Kanye? So I just hope that, you know, people realize what the real from the fake is. And, and when you're young and you're a teenager, you don't really care as much. And I think back to me being such a Tupac fan and giving Tupac every excuse in the world for, oh, maybe he wasn't with that woman and maybe it was his friends and he's just sticking up for his friends. Like, I'm sure Tupac had so many crass things that he was doing in the mid-90s. There's so many stories out there. He he did his time, and, and he, again, he died in early life, very early age. But I think back to how much I would have defended the opportunity for me to listen to Tupac to my own parents and just being sort of rebellious and going like, it's only music. I don't put people on pedestals. But I do worry that some of these kids do put people on pedestals, uh, you know, but it's not real. Like that that Kanye West, that that is a, an artist that is who he wants to portray to the world. He is not somebody that, that you necessarily need to see as like a real mentor in your life. You are listening to Journey Into Sound on Radio Free Brooklyn, and I just want to remind you that Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We are volunteer staffed. We have been completely volunteer staffed since our inception nearly nine years ago, and we are able to keep our doors open and our space set up and uh, people coming into the studio due to the largesse, uh, the niceness, the kindness of people like you who listen to our great programming. And if you would like us to stay on the air, and if you would like to continue supporting our great programming, you can do so by going to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Every contribution that you make is tax deductible. No uh, uh, donation that you make is too small or, you know, conversely too big. And of course, we appreciate everything that you do for us. If you can't donate, tell a friend, follow us on socials. We're Radio Free BK on all socials. Thank you for your support, and thank you for listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. It's really interesting how I justify some of this stuff in my head. In my brain, Kanye died in a plane crash in, like, 2010. Yeah. And whoever this Kanye is, is a simulation. Same way that, like, Mike died in, like, 1995. Screen came out, Mike died. Yeah. So that, he, he, might, he might have died in that spaceship with Janet. Yeah, and well, Janet survived, my, yeah. you know, and decided to show her titties everywhere. And then, <laughs> you know, it was her way of coping. But uh, yeah, it, the brain does really interesting things to justify lots of things, right? Yeah. And it's really difficult because I don't, I don't look at college dropout, late registration, graduation. Those three albums to me are three of some of the most perfect albums i have ever heard i will put late registration up against anything almost yeah and it's hard to listen to that stuff anymore it's funny i was um i was having a drink with a friend maybe like the end of last year and it went from the i'm a flirt remix which is r kelly Mm -hmm. to i need a girl which is diddy (laughs) to excuse me miss which is chris brown and i was like Yo, what are people doing in here? This is like get no, all the problematic black people on a playlist and just like hang out in a bar in Brooklyn and play it. I felt so strange. Yeah. You know? Um and it, it I don't know if being able to completely separate 
artists from the things that they do, the, the people that they are. I don't know if that's something that's possible for me. I don't know if the people that do it are doing the right thing or not doing the right thing. And it also kind of bothers me to see people get canceled for doing stupid shit. Well, you, you said something earlier when we were starting this discussion about the age in which people are doing some of these things. And if you look back and shine the light on us at 16, 17, 18. I was you know, an asshole. I've, I, you know, I had kids at a very young age, so that kept me from being wild. I probably wasn't going to, to do very many crazy things anyways, just my natural personality. Right. But at the same time, if I was to be judged by my 24-year-old self versus my entire body of work, I'm sure that that's a different discussion. And what happens is, is we look at some of these faults that these people have in our own morals through our own eyes, and we judge them, and we don't take the overall picture, because how, how can you? And th that's what I wish more people would do. And social media is um, it's not the right metric. It's not the right scale for any of this because when you can be anonymous and just post out of your ass and never have to take responsibility for your words, it's just going to be different. Yep. But I wish people would think about themselves as younger individuals. And today, because everyone's got a, got a phone, which has a camera, which has a tracking on you, it's like the Truman Show. Like we're all just part of the Truman Show. <laughs> we're all living show. in the Truman Show. That's absolutely true. And, and you, you I, know, you I just up... wish people would look at it a little bit from that. But then if you even say that, if you even say those things, then you're being sympathetic to the abusers and now you're canceled. So that's the part of it that I like. We can't have real rational discussions about any of this stuff because everyone is just waiting to point the finger at who is offending them. I, I wonder, though, why does somebody become an abuser, right? I don't know that we should 100% not be sympathetic to people who do bad things. Like, in most cases, in a lot of cases, in some cases, whatever, the people that do bad things do bad things for a reason. And it has to do with trauma that they encountered in their life. Um, and there's a way that you can hold both things, right? There's a way that you can say, what R. Kelly did was incredibly fucked up. And he had uh, enablers and did this shit for 30 years and all this other stuff. And it was absolutely terrible, absolutely terrible. But also, this is a dude that was abused when he was young. Mm -hmm. And you got to hold both things. And it's, it doesn't absolve him. But, you know, they say abuse is a cycle. So it, it, it requires a level of critical thinking that I don't think a lot of people are comfortable processing. And again, I am in no way saying that he deserves 5% of the sympathy that his victims deserve. He deserves like 1% sympathy, 2% sympathy. And that is the difference between sympathy and empathy, right? If you were someone who was abused as a young person, you may be able to actually have some empathy with what you just said. But me, as someone who did not have uh, an abusive upbringing really in any way, I can't empathize with what 
R went through. So it's really, really hard for me to look at it through that same lens. But my respect for you and my ability to empathize with you as a human, because I know a lot of the things that you've been through, I can go, okay, like Mike's not talking out of his ass right now. This is a real statement. But how many people look at it that way? Nobody. Yeah, most nobody. people don't. I think even people who might have had the experiences that I've had, a lot of those people might not even look at it that way either. But I don't know. I mean, like my personal journey is I'm trying to get to a place of forgiveness and empathy and understanding. And I look back at my abuses and I'm like, I wouldn't have done it the same way, but I, mm -hmm. I get why they did what they did, even though it's not what I would have done. Yes. And, and you have the ability to change that for people right. that you come into contact yeah, with. Yeah, all I can do is break the cycle. No. So it's a really difficult conversation, and there's a lot of landmines. You know, people do bad shit. Yeah. It sucks. But yeah, going back to Kanye is kind of like, I, yeah, I'm not listening to that record. I was home for Christmas, and I guess there was one song on the album that sampled Backstreet Boys, uh, Backstreet's <laughs> Back. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And he played it, and he was like, isn't this dope? And I was like, mm, this is Kanye. I can't be objective here. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, we have so many choices. Uh, 20 years ago, we're only able to play what's on the radio or what's in our 100-CD catalog. Right. You know, today, we just have... Everything I, is yeah. a button away. Yeah. 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 And then we also create our own content, so that's uh, a lot of... The, uh, what our projects are about today versus you know twenty years ago too. Right, it takes kind of, it takes some of the time and the bandwidth away to be able to consume art. Like I didn't watch the Grammys, and I deliberately didn't watch the Grammys. I wasn't super interested. I had dinner with a friend that night, and I was like, I could turn on the TV or I could just go to sleep, wake up tomorrow, catch the highlights, and not have wasted three and a half hours of my life. You know what I'm saying? Whereas 10 or 15 years ago, my ass would have been parked in front of the TV watching it. So it's just a matter of, you know, what do you have the bandwidth for? And look, I still love pop culture. I love the media, sort of. I still like to consume stuff. And the Grammys is one of those things that I'm always somewhat interested in. But I was just like, eh, I got other stuff to do, man. I'll watch Tracy Chapman in the morning. Yeah, that you was know? cool. And I, I did actually watch a bit of the pre-show the entire pre-show streamed on YouTube, and I basically just watched the pre-show at 2x. Oh, okay, there you go. Yeah, because it was really just giving out awards. Mm -hmm. The like ninety percent of the awards were given out in the pre-show anyway. I think um, uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince should have boycotted this Grammys because they didn't show any <laughs> hip hop awards on the live show. Did they not? Who won? I don't uh... think so. Oh, I guess not. I think all the Killer Mike stuff, all I saw of Killer Mike was there There was a still photo of him smiling. That's all I saw. <laughs> on the, I think uh, Travis Scott had a performance. Okay. And then they did another performance. Uh, I forget the guy's name. It was hip-hop, like tangent, tangentially hip-hop. Okay. Is that his name? Afro oh, Beats. so maybe it was Burna Boy? Yeah. I think okay. Was all right. There was rapping in that performance. I didn't really know that stuff, but. Okay. Like, like hip hop was almost forgotten on this show. Yeah, that's weird. I'm trying to think of how many hip hop awards there are. I think there are four, and yeah, they were all given out in the pre-show. And you know why? You know why they probably felt that they could do that because they 
they had a whole special on the 50 years of hip hop. <laughs> it's true. Right? So they're like, ah, oh, we gave them a whole we show. We gave them three hours. Yeah. Let's X them out this time. Yeah. That, that was a fun show. But in the back of my mind, instead of celebrating and having so much fun with a lot of people on that, my mind just kept going, where's this person? Where's this person? Where's this person? Yeah. Why is this person not there? Where's Ice Cube? That kind of thing. Kind of. It was really funny. I was in Boston when that show aired and uh, I was hanging out with my buddy Tom, who's two years younger than me. We're about the same age. And we're watching. He's like, who's that? Who's that? I'm like, dude, we're the same age. I don't know who these people are any more than you do. Anytime somebody that's come out within like the last five years popped up or somebody that was super regional, he'd be like, who's this? And I'd be like, I have no idea. Why are you asking me this question? Yeah. It was a well put together show. I mean, you can only do so much in three hours. And I feel like a lot of the performances were already kind of truncated. Yes. Yes. You would need like a whole day. You know what they should have done instead of the way that they did it? And I know they're trying to celebrate all the different, uh, you know, territories of hip hop. They should have just tried to create something out of the concert that LL and Quest and all those folks. Because, you know, if they went to the Bay Area, they would have some of the West Coast rappers on there. If they went to like New York, they would bring on more New York rappers. So I thought if you could have done a video, uh, some sort of really slick version of those concerts and really put the shine on where these people were from, I thought that would have been good. But I liked what they did, too. I don't know. I I might still do that. I mean, I don't know what got recorded and what didn't get recorded. I know that there was a concert at Yankee Stadium back in July or August where everybody came through. Like Run DMC was there, Cube was there. Lauren was even there. Lauren Hill, yeah, Lauren Hill showed up. They must have told her that was four hours earlier than it actually was. <laughs> um, have you been to a Lauren concert, by the way? No, my buddy Jermaine texted me one day and invited me to a Lauren Hill show. You're friends and with Jermaine Jackson? I've seen, I, no, me no, and Greasy okay. Jermaine ain't friends. Okay, okay. Um, but he texted me and he's like, "Yo, do you want to go?" And I was like, "All right, this is a weeknight. I can only imagine how late I'm going to be out yeah, on a yeah, weeknight." Yeah. At this show. It was a Fuji show. Well, I think her whole recent tour was essentially a Fuji's tour. It's technically Lauren Hill plus the Fuji's. Okay. Well <laughs> her name has to be on in the, the front. In the front. Yeah. Oh, so it's Miss Lauren Hill plus the Fuji's. Yes. yes. Okay. And I was like, man, she's gonna come on stage two hours late, which it turned out she did. Uh it's gonna be And she gets mm- mad at you if you right. say yeah, it gets upset with you. Right. Yeah. Which I don't like. I want to have sympathy for Lauren Hill, right? And I'm like, yo, we're paying you. <laughs> right? Like, we've always paid for you. We buy your records. We stream your records. We pay for your concert tickets. When people are giving you money, you treat them well. Yes. Like, it just doesn't make sense to, like, show up. And and, and people still go for it. And I guess as and until people are like, well, I'm going to start boycotting. Well, I mean, uh, if you get burned, you're probably not going again. Right. But... I saw her and Nas in San Francisco at a small venue. Okay. I think Billy Graham Theater, I think. Uh, and so, you know, the, it was just kind of like open space. There wasn't even seats. We, it was just that kind of vibe. And I think she was a little bit late, but it wasn't too bad. But she's the headliner, and Nas is, is kind of the sidekick opener. And, uh, Which is crazy to me, because <laughs> Lauren Hill has... Two solo albums and two albums with the Fugees. And Nas has like 17 albums. Yes. Nas is still <laughs> making music yes. today. Yes. <laughs> and it, so the, the fascinating thing about Lauren is 
I don't I don't know if it's anger, frustration. She's like directing her backup singers Uh-oh. and her band like she's the leader of an orchestra. Like this is Mr. Holland's opus and she's also singing all of this stuff. <laughs> like she goes into the song and then she's pointing and then like doing this stuff with her hands like she's leading these people who uh, I'm sure are very trained themselves. Right. And it almost like you can see the disgust on her face if she is not happy with what is going on. And it's really hard. It's so distracting because, I, you know, in my head now, this Lauren also does not exist. And, you know, there's a whole other podcast about reasons why this Lauren does not exist. But I would love to go back to 1996 Lauren because she was like the darling of hip hop. And then Miseducation comes out and she goes into a different stratosphere. But I want to go back to the Lauren right before Miseducation because something happened there where yeah, she man. became a different person. I don't know. I don't know what it was. Uh, I, success? I blame, does... I blame Wyclef. I mean, Wyclef. We, we can do that. I think, <laughs> I think success does weird things. To people, it's really funny. I was watching a clip from The View and they had Shirley Ralph on The View. Uh-huh. And I didn't realize, or I didn't remember, that Cheryl Lee Ralph played Lauryn Hill's mom in Sister Act 2. Oh, wow. So it was Cheryl Abbott Lee Ralph. El- Abbott Elementary's Cheryl Lee Ralph? Yep. Moesha's Cheryl Lee Ralph. I love that. that I love that. That same Cheryl Lee Ralph. And it was Cheryl Lee Ralph and Whoopi Goldberg talking about Sister Act 2. And apparently there's a Sister Act 3 coming out. And they're trying to bring back like the majority of the cast from that movie and i would imagine that it's been 30 years so a good chunk of people from that cast are probably dead but i'm like do we think that lauren hill would actually come back for sister act three it aren't that what 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 is the premise of sister act i don't think i've seen any sister acts because doesn't lauren have like a bunch of kids she's probably not not about that life anymore about the nun stuff (laughs) i haven't seen sister act two probably in 25 years so yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I don't even remember. But yeah. I, it's just funny, like, Lauren Hill has not acted in anything. In, and she, look, she's a tremendous performer. She's a multi-talented person. And she started, out, he... she started out as an actor. Like, Questlove talks about it in his book. Like, when he first met the Fugees, he knew who Lauren Hill was because she was on As the World Turns. Yes. Like, she and, was and on a soap opera. But just imagine... How do you direct Lauren Hills? <laughs> I, I've never directed anything, Garrett, but I can see that being a problem. Yeah. She's going to want to direct. She's like, okay, I'll, I'll be in Sister Act 3 if I'm the director. <laughs> oh, I don't even want to think about that. So, all right, <laughs> Lauren Hill's not going to be in Sister Act 3. Yeah. I, I, that was a heavily rumored project, too. I wonder... Is that still happening? Was it going to be like a Disney Plus thing? It's supposed to still be happening. I mean, Abbott Elementary just came back on this week. Right. So right. that was a recent interview. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, who knows? Um, yeah. So I even forgot we had kind of touched on, on some stuff and trying to decide what topics to talk about. And for some reason, I'm still trying to remember, I just listened to a bunch of Justin Timberlake music because I know he's got a new album coming out. Yep. I like the single, Selfish. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's 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 uh it's earwormy, I think is why I like it. But it's, didn't didn't NSYNC have a song title called Selfish? Yes, they did. And that was the first <laughs> thing I thought. I was like, 
is this a remake of the InSync and Brian McKnight song? Yeah. <laughs> but I, no, it's a completely different song. And it's again, it's fine. He's not coming out on some sexy back stuff. It's a mid-tempo joint. It's very in the pocket and chill. And I like it. I think Justin's trying to kind of just like slide in through the side door and be like, hey, y'all forget about me, which is impossible because he's been putting out music pretty consistently just with other people over the last couple yeah, of years. Yeah, he's on the all over the troll stuff. Yeah. He's done a whole bunch of different stuff. And, you know, the NSYNC single that came out last year. That was on the Trolls soundtrack, yeah. I think, right? Yeah. Uh, but I guess when I saw the album on his Instagram, I was like, oh, I thought maybe an NSYNC project, which, I mean, an NSYNC project in 2024 is basically Justin probably singing the majority of it anyways. I have no idea what JC sounds like in 2024. He probably still sounds like JC. Yeah. You know, it'd be nice if we could. <laughs> Put that guy back on. Come on, Justin. Help your boy out. <laughs> right. That's a lost pop artist career, I think. What do you mean? I think JC should have been 10 times bigger than he was. Man, I... And we may have even had this discussion before. The one solo record that JC dropped, I thought was dope. Aside from like him doing a record with ODB and there was some kind of weird stuff on there. This, but... I think it's if people listen to it today, they would feel it to be a little oversexed, I would think. Maybe. But from a vocal standpoint, I mean, JC, in my opinion, is a better singer than yes. Justin Timberlake. I agree. You know, Justin has a lot more commercial appeal and he has the Michael Jackson thing. The marketing yeah. around him was so smart compared to JC. He was the it kid from the beginning. Right. And he played into that. And I think JC was like, okay, I can't be Justin Light, so I got to go in a different direction. And I don't think that was the right direction. Right. Um, so, I mean, look, JC is probably crying on a pile of money. So he's cool, but it's kind of sad that he only made one album and then he was like, all right, I guess I'm done making music. Because I think he could have had a career and certainly it wouldn't have been in sync numbers or even necessarily, uh, or even Justin numbers. But if you're making records for the hell of it and you're not really worried about getting paid necessarily you could do like the joey mcintyre stuff and just put out records when you want and you know handsome dude too you're in your early 20s you're kind of on top of the world with nsync it seems like it should have been a much easier pathway for him and it makes me wonder how, how do you go from that opportunity to just shutting it down be a tell-all book another like five years jc should say tell-all book talking I mean, but shit about I, justin timberlake justin justin probably doesn't really have time for the NSYNC stuff, but I, I think it was a great opportunity to put out another NSYNC record. Like, why not? I mean, there's still a market, like an NSYNC tour or an NSYNC Vegas residency would do crazy, crazy numbers. Yeah. Would do crazy numbers. Because people will go, will make it a destination. You do two weeks of shows, you collect your bag, and then Go about your business. And then Justin has 50 other weeks to do whatever the, uh, he yeah. wants to do with his career. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, I, you know, I wonder what's kind of going on behind the scenes there. Yeah, it just seemed like an easy layup. And then when they got back for the single, and then I think they did a commercial or something together, I was like, oh, there's something going on here. And then I see Justin solo, and I'm like, oh, there's not anything <laughs> going on here. <laughs> maybe, they, maybe they secretly have done another song or something, but, you know... I get it because Justin himself, he probably thinks it's a slight step back. Right. But I always look at it from the Michael Jackson perspective. Like, help your brothers out, man. Like, you got all the shine. 
they're good. They're not to say that those guys necessarily need to sing again. Right. They're not going to really do much, but they made little careers for themselves as well. Like in, in the acting, like Joey, he's been done stuff. Yeah. In acting. Yeah. I obviously don't know what's in Justin Timberlake's head, but maybe he does feel like it's a step back. But when your career is humbled a little bit, as I think his is, because he's not as big a star as he was five years ago. I blame Man of the Woods. Yeah, that album was ugh, that album was rough. Remember, because he had the double album, months apart or whatever. Yeah. And there was that one song, "Drink You Away." Yep. And he was like, "Okay, what if I made an entire album oh. of Drink You Aways?" Yeah. I just never understood like the kids for he's a Memphis, Tennessee dude. And now he's a man of the woods and he's singing about flannel and stuff. I didn't get that. Yeah, it was. There are a couple of good songs on the album. Like, there's a song yeah. he does with Alicia Keys on that album that I think yeah. is really good. It's a good song. Um, but yeah, the direction, you know, whoever AR'd that was. And, and also, like, he's working with Tim and Pharrell and people who are maybe a little bit past their sell by date. Okay, and here's another thing. And I'll speak very candidly about this. Mm hmm. Justin Timberlake has taken advantage of he, he's a white guy who sings and sounds like he could like Michael Jackson, like you just said, right? right? Like that style of singing. Yeah, he's so a, he's he's a white R&B singer. He's attracted lots of sides of the audience. When you do an album called Man of the Woods, you are basically telling half of the audience that they shouldn't really care about this album. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there are black people in the woods. Some, maybe. <laughs> Kanye's in the woods in Wyoming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I just thought it was like, to me, it was a put off. I'm like, oh, so now you're getting your brawny on. You're getting your flannel shirt. You're growing your goatee. You're, you're swinging your axe. Brawny. You did not say brawny. <laughs> wow. Are there still brawny paper towels? towels? Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure there are. I need to Google that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you know, that to me, I was just like, oh, are you basically saying you're embracing like a certain side of the audience more than the other. That's right. what it said to me as a biracial person. You know, it was a, a, a bunch of weird things, right? And yes, they still make brawny towels, uh, paper towels. It was the weird sort of like imagery shift. I think that was part of it. It was also him doing the Super Bowl again. I think there was a lot of backlash for that because yeah. after the whole Janet thing, they were like, oh, how does this person get invited to do the Super Bowl again? Black Twitter hates Justin Timberlake. I mean, Black Twitter is not representative of all no, black not. people it's by not. any stretch of the imagination. I know, I know. I totally. and I bet, That's what I'm saying. It's not a scale. It's right. not a measure. It's and just I, Twitter. And I also bet because so much of social media is like flexing and performative, a bunch of those people on Black Twitter that talk shit about Justin Timberlake turn on sexy back and then dance their <laughs> ass off. So I, yeah, whatever. And I get it. Like that that looked weird to me. I'm like, how are you gonna let somebody else catch a fade on this and then be like, okay, I'm gonna do the Super Bowl again? And it turns out that he asked Janet to be on the show with him and she said no. I would say no too. Yeah. And actually I don't know if you ever watched the Janet Jackson documentary that was on a couple of years ago, but she says it was her idea for him to not say anything after the whole Super Bowl thing. Well, because she was protecting him. Because they had a little something-something going on at one point, right? Right, right. Yeah. But she's like, oh, yeah, me and Justin are still really good friends today. Mm. And it's like, all right. You know, yeah, since the main problem is the problem that a lot of people have. This brother will not 
apologize or take accountability for certain things. Right. He just won't. He is a, a PR press release guy rather than a human apology sort of, you know, like I, I don't sense that I know Justin Timberlake very well as a human, even though I've bought all of his music, whereas some artists they draw you in a little bit more. He seems a little bit more still of a, of a marketing machine kind right. of human. You know what I want? I want Justin Timberlake to go on Questlove Supreme. Let's do it. They will grill him. And Dude. I think it would be a really good look for him to kind of explain. I mean, it could also be a really bad look and it could kill his career. But and I think him and Questlove are cool anyway. But I think that it would be really good to have him do Questlove Supreme or Charlemagne or, or one of those things where somebody interviewing him asks him real real questions what about this podcast we'll, we'll have him on i this mean podcast. look if justin timberlake you want to be on this show call us up hit slide in my dms yeah and and if he does uh my first suggestion would be we'll, we'll do video do not wear a flannel shirt <laughs> i mean flannel shirts are kind of my thing so i'll yeah. wear the flannel shirt you can wear the flannel shirt he doesn't know could be chopping wood in the background while we talk yeah let's dead that yeah, it it would be a great move for him. And do you think he and Brian McKnight still? My understanding from various things that I've heard over the years is that Brian McKnight is a dick. I, he almost got canceled himself. He's on. almost gotten canceled a couple times. Something about he favors some of his kids over the other kids or the new wife kids. Or, yeah. I saw something about that. He said a couple of things that have gotten him called out on the carpet a little bit, but I don't know if you, did you ever listen to the Johnny Gill episode of Questlove Supreme? Uh, I'm sure I have. I've listened to so many of those episodes. They ask him about any artist that he's ever wanted to like beat the shit out of. Did he say Brian? Uh, and he said Brian McKnight. Woo! Um, I wasn't beat the shit. It was like, has any artist ever like disrespected you? Uh, publicly, oh, wow. and he said Brian McKnight. Wow. And, yeah, so... Where's Versus when we need right? it? I mean, Johnny would clean that shit up. Yeah. My, 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 enough. That kills every single other thing Brian McKnight has ever put out. Yes. So, Absolutely. Alright, all right, so where can the good folks listening to this show find you? Well, I got a couple of different podcast networks. I am from the Bay Area, and thus I talk about Bay Area sports. My network is called BSPN, kind of like ESPN. <laughs> BSPN, Bay Area Sports Podcasting Network. Uh, and I do a few shows a week with a couple of different guests, including my son. We talk about the Warriors. And then, yeah, I do a bunch of other stuff on the other side with wrestling and, and mixed martial arts. But the BSPN is where a lot of my focus is these days. Work. All right. Well, thank you for taking the time. I know it's early in the morning on the West Coast. Uh, actually, no, it's not. It's like mid-morning on the West Coast. Yeah, we're, we're almost about to go to lunch. For being my first guest on this new iteration of the show. I love it, man. It's good to catch up and talk about music again. It's good to just catch up and talk. And, yes, that is true. Thank you all for listening. Under the Influence is next. Keep it locked right here on Radio Free Brooklyn.